ABC Listen. Podcasts, radio, news, music and more. In a bid to crack down on human trafficking and other forms of organised crime, the Australian government says it will address significant abuses it's found in the visa system. This system has been used to perpetrate some of the worst crimes known to humanity, sexual slavery and human trafficking. Delay and dysfunction and poor management of the immigration system lie at the heart of the ability of people to commit these crimes. So how did this all happen in public view? It's fairly simple. It was lack of care, lack of attention and lack of basic interest. Home Affairs Minister Claire O'Neill has now announced $50 million to set up a new task force to root out organised abuse of the visa system. Unlawful migration agents are top of the government's hit list to crack down on rogue agents that are used to recruit for farm work and to get migrants working in specific sectors. Farmers will access workers through these very dodgy labour hire contractors. And, you know, it's not someone with an office. It's a single person with a white van and a mobile phone. Professor Joanna Howe. On Australia Wide Today, we're going to take a look at modern slavery in regional Australia and what can be done about it. I'm Sinead Mangan and this is Australia Wide, coming to you from Wadjuk Country, Perth. When we hear people talk of slavery, it sounds like a troubled part of history. And yet it's a very real issue we're grappling with here today in Australia. These people are adults, some of them are 30, 40 years old, and uh, their, their lives are, they're, they're basically treated as if they are slaves in our land. Every year, migrant workers, refugees and international students come to Australia hoping to find a better life. But this isn't always the case. I didn't expect here in Australia that thing will happen because I know Australia, they have strong laws with human rights. Modern slavery is a big issue across Australia. It's an issue that Australia's first anti-slavery commissioner, Dr James Cocaine, has been asked to tackle in the state of New South Wales. He's one of only two anti-slavery commissioners in the world and the other one is in the UK. Right now, Dr James Cocaine is wrapping up a series of community meetings across the state in an attempt to piece together a picture of what modern slavery looks like in the towns of regional New South Wales. Now, as you can imagine, it's no easy task, given the secretive nature of the issue. But Dr. Cocaine joins me now to share what he's learned. Dr. Cocaine, what does the problem look like as you travel around the state? Different people in different contexts are vulnerable in different ways. So I live up in the Northern Rivers area of New South Wales. Up there, we have a massive problem of homelessness, particularly for women and children. And that represents a particularly vulnerable group to certain forms of exploitation. Uh, At the moment, I'm speaking to you from the Murrumbidgee Irrigation Area. Out here, there are issues uh, with temporary migrant workers uh, and also with certain migrant communities that have moved here and perhaps have experiences of bond slavery overseas that are still uh, a legacy in their lives and affecting their health and well-being uh, and need our support here. Uh, In parts of Sydney, uh, perhaps there are different uh, causes of vulnerability to do with uh, drug addiction, Uh, or uh, living with a disability. So vulnerabilities look different in different parts of New South Wales and we're really trying to get around the state to make sure we understand what those look like and therefore what kind of responses are needed. You use the term modern slavery, but it's a a term that people find it hard to get their heads around, I think, in this current age. Can you explain what it looks like? 
Modern slavery is when one person treats another as if they own them. So it's obviously not uh, permitted under law anymore to actually own somebody as property. We abolished that a couple of hundred years ago, but still pe people still behave as if they had the powers of ownership over another person. And that's actually the definition uh, that's identified by the High Court of Australia in some important case law about 15 years ago. There's a lot of different specific criminal offences that together are given the, the name modern slavery. It includes forced labour, uh, which is when you're forced to work uh, against your will under threat of uh, penalty. Uh, it includes debt bondage. So when you're being forced to pay off a debt on terms uh, through work, uh, on terms that are unreasonable and you're unable to ever really pay down the debt, which is a problem we see, for example, in some of our temporary migrant work schemes that we have uh, operating here in New South Wales. It can look like sexual servitude when people are trapped into a particular relationship or context and forced to provide sexual services against their will. And that might be in a family setting, alas, uh, or, or indeed in a commercial sex work setting. Um, it can also involve domestic servitude. Some of the successful convictions uh, over recent years have involved uh, terrible cases of people being essentially trapped in homes, unable to leave that workplace, uh, abused in the workplace and being forced to work uh, without pay for even years on end in certain cases. So it can take a variety of different forms, but in all of these different forms, the key is one person treating another as if they owned them. These are very difficult matters to discuss, and I'd imagine for vulnerable people, very difficult to front up to a meeting and, and talk about it. Are people talking in these meetings? How are you getting people to talk to you? Well, I think it's right to acknowledge that there is a veil of silence uh, over these issues. Uh, the best estimate is that there are around 16,400 people in modern slavery in New South Wales right now. And yet we see only about 120 presentations to police each year. So that's around 16,000 or so people who are unable to come forward, unable to report their dire situation. Uh, in order to encourage people to discuss these experiences, it's really critical to provide a safe space for them in which they can share their situation without fear that that's going to lead to retaliation against them uh, their co-workers or indeed their family members here or perhaps at home if they've moved here uh, recently or for work. Uh, it, it involves also making sure that they're comfortable that their visa situation isn't going to be put in jeopardy. Uh, and that can be very difficult, particularly for people who come from uh, communities where there is a, a historical fear of government. Uh, it takes time and it's about winning, winning their trust. We're chatting from your at Leighton Library right now um, there to talk to people who want to chat about this issue. Are people mm -hmm. sharing their stories? What sort of stories are you hearing? I'm hearing um, really amazing stories about the community here in Leighton and in neighbouring Griffith stepping forward to look after people living in their community who are uh, falling through the gaps and who are falling out the bottom of our temporary migrant worker schemes and ending up in really terrible situations of destitution without access to healthcare, uh, in insecure housing situations, perhaps subject to uh, physical, even sexual abuse and intimidation. I'm hearing stories about people 
presenting to hospitals uh, for uh, to give birth to children who've not had access to antenatal care because they've uh, disengaged from the the worker scheme that perhaps has brought them here and uh, and aren't receiving the support they need from that scheme. But at the same time, the community is stepping forward to look after those people. This is Australia Wide, and I'm speaking to Dr. James Cocaine, who is the anti-slavery commissioner in New South Wales, and he's currently touring around regional New South Wales, collecting stories, and people are chatting to him. Well, you were saying there was 16,400 cases of modern slavery in New South Wales. When, it, when you look to regional New South Wales and metro areas, how much of an issue is it in regional areas? Uh, it's a big issue, we think. Certainly the information we're getting from people who are coming forward with their own experiences or uh, members of the community uh, and government agencies that are working uh, with people experiencing modern slavery suggests that we have an, problems in a number of different sectors uh, across New South Wales. So that includes problems in horticulture and certain parts of agriculture uh, where workers are finding that they are being deceptively recruited into jobs that don't meet what was on the package when it was sold to them. Uh, and then they find they're being trapped in situations of debt bondage or even forced labor. Uh, we see similar issues in certain parts of the meat processing industry. Um, the cleaning industry in, uh, in, in urban centers, whether in rural uh, or metro uh, New South Wales, uh, the cleaning industry is also an, an issue, uh, a sector in which issues have been raised with us. Um, one of the recurring themes is sectors that rely heavily on labour hire contractors are more likely to see these problems. We don't have a labour hire licensing scheme in New South Wales, unlike in other uh, territories and states in Australia. And that means it's very easy for dodgy operators to set themselves up as labour hire contractors and to exploit vulnerable workers. There's also been a review, the Nixon review, I think it's referred to, that was a federal government review looking at human exploitation in the workforce. What did you make of what came out of that? Uh, over the last few days, the federal government has announced a really important set of reforms designed to strengthen immigration enforcement. And uh, one aspect of that is a series of uh, measures designed to make it easier for uh, temporary migrant workers to avoid exploitation. These are really positive steps. Uh, I think there's more we could do, particularly to listen to people who've actually lived through exploitation and ensure that the enforcement arrangements we put in place are actually not going to drive them further underground or make them more fearful to come forward and share their story because it might lead to their deportation uh, or their loss of working rights. Uh, the people who know best how the policies actually work on the ground are the people with lived experience of being subjected to those policies. There's a lot more we could be doing. Uh, there's a lot more that the federal government could do to ensure that it's hearing directly from people with lived experience in the design uh, and implementation of the important reforms that have been announced in the last few days. Dr James Cocaine, the New South Wales Anti-Slavery Commissioner, one of two in the world, I understand. Thanks very much for talking to Australia Wide. Thank you, Sinead. This is ABC Australia Wide. 
Voluntary assisted dying has only been legal in Queensland since the beginning of the year. But in regional areas like North Queensland, doctors say the demand for the service has been completely underestimated. They've seen a huge number of patients requesting first consultations and it's putting pressure on a small workforce of qualified practitioners. Rachel Merritt has the story. When voluntary assisted dying became legal in Queensland this year, practitioners like Klaus Bader weren't expecting the tsunami of cases which followed. The director of the Palliative Care Centre at Townsville University Hospital, which services a population of 250,000 people, says he was the first and only doctor in the city trained to deliver the service on January 1. Despite our our kind of best efforts, we just we just weren't quite prepared. Um, you know what was going to what was going to happen because. I think I think we had this sort of huge tsunami of, of self-determination and almost like a continuous wave of, of, of choice and determination for people wanting to access the services. The latest data from Queensland Health shows 339 doctors and nurses statewide are authorised to deliver the end-of-life service, with GPs accounting for just under a third. While the number of practitioners operating in each hospital and health service remains confidential, Dr Bader says only a handful of North Queensland doctors have become qualified. I've accepted a huge number of requests and we, we, are, we are managing, but in, we, we just simply don't have enough practitioner, practitioners for a sustainable service. So most of the practitioners that we now have, um, we usually complete a lot of our work outside of, of regular hours and we we simply do that because you know we're passionate about DAD because it's it's part of the job. But we just need more people. We need more practitioner. And 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 I know that there's so many caring doctors in Townsville that would love to be able to provide that additional service, but you know, they're simply unable to do so because of a funding issue. The first annual report from Queensland's Voluntary Assisted Dying Review Board showed regional patients were overrepresented in the number of people accessing the scheme. Of the 591 people who had a first consultation by the end of June, regional, rural and remote Queenslanders accounted for 49%. That's despite only a quarter of the state's population of more than 5.3 million living outside the southeast corner. We get far more people talking about it and asking about it and verifying whether or not they might be eligible than we actually have people following through. And, and in itself, just knowing that the legislation allows for that choice uh, at the end of life is enough um, peace uh, and enough peace of mind um, for many of my patients. That's Townsville GP Michael Clements. He's one of the small number of local practitioners who now offer voluntary assisted dying consultation at their practice. But he says there hasn't been proper consultation between GPs and government to find incentives to bolster the workforce. Uh, we still have some barriers to people accessing care. Um, the Queensland government instituted 
this uh, policy without much in the way of funding or engagement with GPs. Um, there is actually uh, an extensive amount of training required to become a practitioner and there is no federal or state uh, support for GPs that take time out of their practice to actually conduct that training. In a statement provided to the ABC, a Queensland Health spokesperson said they recognise GPs are busy and training can be completed in multiple sittings to accommodate doctors' schedules. They say they're also advocating for the Commonwealth to expand Medicare eligibility so practitioners won't be left out of pocket. But further south... Voluntary assisted dying clinical lead at Mackay Hospital, Max Ryder, says there's another huge obstacle facing practitioners. In a rural area, um, one of the key challenges we have at the moment is actually not the state legislation, it's the federal legislation. And so um, federal laws haven't been adjusted to reflect the change in um, practice in states. And so the key trouble we have is that um, that we are limited in what we can discuss over the phone, over email um, with our patients and we're not able to actually talk about the administration process, the, the medications utilised um, um, because it's federally illegal and so because of that we need to make sure we're having face-to-face conversations with patients which can be difficult when you're geographically isolated. So I work in Proserpine Hospital but I'm travelling to Mackay, Serena, um, Bowen to, to conduct consults for people whilst working uh, an almost full-time job in, in Proserpine. So if, it is quite logistically challenging unless you've got a large workforce. And unfortunately, we don't have a large workforce of registered practitioners yet. Queensland Health Minister Shannon Fentiman says the federal legislation is limiting patient access to quality health care in rural and remote parts of the state. She's backed doctors' calls to urgently amend the code. Here's Dr Ryder again. That would definitely be the number one thing to, to help us provide service um, with, with the, the beauty of telehealth um, so that way more people can get quicker access to service than waiting for me to come and see them in person. In response to the ABC, a spokesperson for the Attorney-General, Mark Dreyfus, says the Australian government recognises the sensitivity of issues around voluntary assisted dying. They say the Commonwealth will continue to consider requests from the states and territories to amend provisions in the Criminal Code. And thanks to Rachel Merritt for that story from Townsville in Queensland. ABC Australia Wide. The Alice Springs Rodeo this weekend will be more than just booking bulls and cowboys. The rodeo will be playing a role in giving young offenders a second chance. A group of inmates will, for the first time, be allowed to participate in the local rodeo as part of a programme to reduce reoffending and help them prepare for a life back in society. Victoria Ellis has the story. And you sit like that, square. And when that bull barks, you lean back. Jefferson Woody can't change his past but he's determined to have a positive future. The 19-year-old is an inmate at the Alice Springs Correctional Centre. I'm from down, but I've come up here to get away from trouble. Mr Woody has been granted a second chance. He'll ride a bull at the Alice Springs Rodeo as part of a program to reduce crime and reconnect young offenders with community. How are you feeling about that upcoming bull ride? Pumped. Scared. But yeah, good. Never, never seen a bull in my life. Just spent most of my time beyond bars. 
say yes, new experience, life experience, you know, try to get the best out of it, meet new people. Is it also kind of about, you know, participating in community again? Yeah, just because I spent a long time already beyond, you know, good to get reintegration and actually do meet new people so I can fit in the community when I do come out and this could, this could be something I could get in, interested in too, you know. It's the first time correctional services have allowed prisoners to ride in a rodeo. Offenders aged 18 to 25 are taking part in the program after being jailed for a range of crimes, including domestic violence. It's Blair Carroll, I'm the general manager of the Alice Springs Correctional Centre. The concept of having the guys come and ride at the rodeo is a continuation of what we're trying to plan for the young offenders within the correctional system. Um, we've taken a real focus towards uh, picking up those that we've identified as, as troubled and um, trying to make sure by the time they get released from custody they're better um, attuned to what awaits them outside and plus we've given them all the skills, the life skills and the tools I suppose to um, make a better go of it. The impact for these young offenders is that they get a, um, a greater level of pride, achievement and um, you know, from a mental health perspective they're stepping outside their normal framework or the norms that they have um, and achieving something they wouldn't ordinarily um, achieve or do something that they wouldn't ordinarily do. The program comes as crime in Alice Springs and the Northern Territory has been making national headlines. Marie Corbo runs a men's behaviour change program through Tanganjira Council in Central Australia. Anything that we can do, that we can work with men towards um, their change process, I think is really important. And there's a lot of different ways that that can happen. And also in different options such as this, which really um, assist men to build their sense of self, their self-esteem and to be included within the community. Aboriginal man Michael Little also works with men in Alice Springs to stop domestic violence. Oh, the need for this sort of stuff to happen on a more regular basis is very much needed for Aboriginal men. This is our opportunity to shine. We face all types of issues all the time and I think with programs like this it only helps us get better and perform better much in our personal lives. He said the program would help offenders find new mentors. The main thing is changing the scenery. You know, you change your conversation, you change the people you hang around, you soon get a, a different person, and that's what needs to happen. What's his best, what's his worst, and what's his middle. So he'll change this, and we'll go to the left here, we'll come around here. Tom Edmonds is the president of the Alice Springs Rodeo Association. He's enthusiastic about the opportunities that bull riding will open up for the young offenders. It gives them an opportunity to have a crack, have a go. They've helped out here setting up all the grandstands, doing as much as work as we do, so I can't see why they cannot compete. How big of a need do you think there is for programs like this to stop reoffending in Alice Springs and Central Australia and the Northern Territory? I think it's, it's not going to be a world beater, but I think it will be an avenue with footy and all other sports programs that are out there that will put them on the right track, maybe lead on to going elsewhere across Australia to ride and, and just give them another outlet and, and give them a bit of a station background and 
might opportunity to go back on the land that they've done this and they're like, oh, I really enjoyed this and there might be more opportunities out on the stations and that. So it creates jobs as well. Can you tell me a little bit about how useful that might be for the industry if this did become a pathway to get young fenders into that much needed area of working on stations? A lot of pastures and a lot of station families and managers come to these shows and, you know, it's about networking. They meet this person, meet that person and, and it just leads from there and say, so that seems like a young, resilient young bloke and I want to take him on and give him a chance. Well, I could take 10 people in my stock camp any day of the week, doesn't matter what training, I don't care, we can train them on the way and we would, and I know there'd be about five other stations would do it. They'd literally take anyone that is willing to work and wanting to have a go and learn, we'll take him on any day of the week. And that's exactly the outcome 19-year-old Jefferson Woody is hoping for. Do you think uh, having been involved with the rural scene and having ridden a bull that you might try and find some work in the agriculture industry on a station or being a ringer or something like that maybe? Yeah, of course. Just give it a go, you know. Never know. Could take me somewhere. By you being out there in the arena and you're riding a bull, what do you think it'll show about who you are as a person? That I'm kind-hearted. Some people in the community may be wondering if the offenders really deserve the second chance. But Mr Woody has a response. Everyone makes mistakes in life, you know, no one's perfect. Everyone done bad things, just a part of life. But if you do believe in change, this is the biggest change, you know, we're only young. Us being in prison, it's obvious we only know about criminal mentality, stealing and all the rest. But coming out and do this is one big life changing, you know. It's the best thing ever. And there you stand here, we'll help you. We're not letting you do this on your own. Jefferson Woody, inmate at the Alice Springs Correctional Centre, ending that story from Victoria Ellis. And you can read more about that story on the Australia Wide webpage. And that's it for Australia Wide for this Thursday. I'm Sinead Mangan. I'll be back with you again tomorrow. I hope you're having a lovely evening. Cheerio. ABC Listen.